you ever seen something and known immediately that it was just for you? 1992. I was sitting on the couch watching TV. Nothing good was on. I was flipping. When I got to PBS, I saw something extraordinary. This man was pulling these otherworldly-looking pieces of pottery out of a pit in the ground. I didn't know what was happening, but I came to understand that he had been burning... I believe it was phone books in the pit. The whole situation was fascinating, but the pottery itself really had me. I just discovered Raku. This potter was reaching into a hole and pulling out the most beautiful things that I had ever seen. I knew this was just for me. That potter was Mark Ferry, and the PBS special changed my life. I was absolutely fascinated by what I had learned about Raku that night, and about pottery making in general. Right, I had to start collecting at ASAP. So, I went to the Festival of the Arts that year. One of the first things I encountered was... Amazing Raku. It was much more in vogue then. A potter named Robert Sunday had a tent, and to me, entering his display was like passing onto another planet where only I and people like me were welcome or would feel comfortable. He had a piece called the Prairie Vase, which is still my favorite piece ever. Unfortunately, it was well out of my price range for the time, and I never did end up acquiring one. But I saw and learned so much. I gained my first insight into inlay work, for example, and into painting highlighted details onto a Raku piece. That whole first festival was like a year in school. I started going to as many shows as I could, and many years would pass before I went to one without making at least one purchase. But my first purchase was at a gallery. Later that year I was on the road, doing stand-up, I was in Knoxville with my beautiful, amazing girlfriend who happened to be an art teacher. So, obviously she wasn't going to have a problem with seeking out an art gallery in which to spend the afternoon. We took a trip up Kingston Turnpike and saw a sign that said Hanson Art Source. So, we went in and right there, right in the front of the gallery, was a great piece of Raku by a potter named David Byron. In fact, I believe there were either two or three pieces. And they seemed expensive to me then, but not unattainable. But I didn't buy them. No, we went back to the hotel, I finished out the shows, and we went home. Most of you who are listening probably know what happened next. A week later, I called the gallery and went into debt for a piece of art for the first time. The gallery shipped it straight to me, off to the races. I spent the next 25 years attending festivals, visiting galleries, and collecting. Raku has always been my primary focus, but of course I've branched out into other forms and other media. I don't want to draw too direct a parallel to the TV show, but I'll mention that early on I used to tell people if it looks like it's from the planet Vulcan, then it's probably what I'm after. I've met so many great people, some of whom I'd like to interview. Artists and gallery owners both come to mind. I've taken so much pleasure in this journey. The great cities I've seen, the great craft beer I've consumed. I even used to look forward to meeting all of the dogs that people brought to festivals. Being young, obsessed with collecting pottery, and having a job which took me to different cities in which I could seek the stuff out was just the best, best life. Fast forward. 
2015. I was sitting on the couch watching TV. You're going to think that's all I do, right? And hopefully it's clearly not the case. I was flipping because nothing was on. My TV was very different than the one I had in 1992. It was flat. It had a membranous screen. It didn't weigh 75 pounds and it was in high definition. Times had changed a little. So I was flipping. I flipped through PBS. And I paused like three flips later. I didn't know what I had seen on PBS, but I knew that I wanted to look at it again. I flipped back, was pulled to the edge of my seat, and watched awestruck as this video montage of beautiful pottery pieces was presented. The work was so gorgeous and so outside my wheelhouse. For now, I'll just say that it was much more southwesternish than anything which I had previously collected, but I was thunderstruck by it. I, like, couldn't move, right? What was I about to learn, and why had I not encountered this before? And that evening, the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story of Juan Quezada and Mata Ortiz pottery was laid out for me to encapsulate. Juan grew up in Mata Ortiz, Mexico, in Chihuahua, near the Casas Grandes ruins. The structures which became the ruins had been, had been inhabited by the ancient Pacame people. Everyone in Mata Ortiz had a job, and Juan's job was gathering firewood. Okay, so one day, while he was out exercising his responsibility, he found a cave. Right? What little boy on earth is not going to explore a cave that he finds? So Juan went into the cave, and he found pottery. Ancient Pacame pottery that stunned him with its beauty and its intricacy. On the spot, he dedicated himself to learning how the pottery was made and to reproducing it. Juan explored the land, sampling the various clays available in different areas. He had observed the landscape for his entire life, and he recognized what elements would produce the pigments he needed. He realized after some practice that with much more practice, he could replicate certain ancient brush strokes using only a human hair. That's a single human hair, folks. He worked and he worked and he worked, and Juan recreated Casas Grandes pottery. Accuracy in replicating the ancient Pacame designs painted on the surfaces of the pots was very important to him, and he had achieved it, producing amazingly beautiful, intricate, and precise designs painted across curvilinear surfaces. He was able to start selling some small pieces, right, which ended up in the hands of various locals and in some small shops. Enter Spencer McCallum. In 1976, an American anthropologist named Spencer McCallum walked into a trinket shop in New Mexico. Wait until you realize how amazing this is. Wait until you understand just how mind-blowing it is that of all people on the planet, an anthropologist happened to walk into this shop on this day. McCallum found two pieces of pottery there. They were stunning, and he thought they might be special. After looking at them for long enough, he said to himself that they were definitely special, and not just special, but culturally important. But he didn't know to what culture. So being an anthropologist, he knew that he had to track down this potter. And he ultimately did. He found Juan Quezada in Mata Ortiz, Mexico. The two men formed a partnership which might essentially be understood on one level as consisting of an artist and a manager. I 
slash agent slash promoter, I guess, in this case. But as far as I've been able to tell, the men formed a good friendship as well. McCallum cultivated connections in the art world, and Juan kept turning out masterpieces and teaching other potters. First Juan taught his siblings, and then basically the rest of their village. The work that Juan Quezada and Spencer McCallum did resulted in commercial success for Mata Ortiz Potters, a permanent exhibit in the San Diego Museum of Man, and the presentation to Juan Quezada of the Premio Nacional de Ciencias y Artes. That's the National Prize for Arts and Sciences, Mexico's highest honor for artists, scientists, and writers. And it was given to the man who had been the boy collecting firewood with a donkey. Before the pottery, the people of the village had been nearly starving. After the village began producing the pottery, starvation largely ceased to be an issue. Mata Ortiz is slowly transforming. Juan Quezada, Spencer McCallum, and Mata Ortiz Pottery saved a town. And check out how close it all came to never happening. I may have this story just a bit wrong, but it's correct in essence. I welcome any correction at all from anybody who might be able to offer it. Spencer McCallum was giving a lecture about Mata Ortiz, years after the whole thing happened, right? And after the lecture, a woman approached McCallum and told him that she had been in that same curio shop in New Mexico. She saw three pots that she really liked. She bought one and took it back to the hotel, okay? After some time passed, she realized that it was special and wanted to go back and get the other two, but her husband vetoed the expenditure. I'll give that a second to sink in. In the time since learning of this inspiring series of events, I have collected four pieces of Mata Ortiz pottery. The fourth piece is a recent acquisition and was made by Lydia Quezada, Juan Quezada's sister. So this is a very special and exciting time for me as a collector. I'm considering putting off a trip to Italy next year so I can go to Mata Ortiz. We'll see what happens. So there's that. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you'll tune in as I add more shows. A soon-to-be-recorded show, I hope the next one, will feature an interview with veteran potter Mike Cameron. I will be looking for artists to interview. My focus will likely be on potters, but my attention will spread beyond that into other media and interests. Right now, I would really like to receive contact from potters in Bountiful, Utah. I do pass through there now and then. And I'd really like to receive contact from potters on Oahu. You can reach me at potterynut at outlook.com. Talk to you soon.